Welcome to The Spot with me, your favourite political pop culture critic, Afro7. Today I've got my, you know, my favourite guest, my favourite sparring partner on the show once again. Say hi, Michael. Uh, hello, uh, listeners. <laughs> yeah, I don't... interact with you guys again. Exactly. I don't have to reintroduce him because he comes on the show so often. But yeah, we're back again. There's a lot to discuss. A lot has been happening recently. It's weird. It feels like a lot has been happening and it feels like nothing much has happened. So it's, it's, that's, that, that sums up Nigeria in, in, in so many words. So, Michael, how are you? I'm very well, very well. Uh, pleased that, uh, as you know, I like politics. So I'm, I'm happy that Nigerian politicians are keeping me entertained as usual. Yes, but uh, my, mine is the opposite. I'm worried. I'm not excited. I'm really worried. I'm a bit of a worrywart when it comes to Nigeria, you see. So the uncertainty, the unpredictability of certain aspects of Nigerian politics always like keeps me, keeps me on tenterhooks. It's like, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what's happened this week? Okay, just now we've got the news that PDP won Oshun Central. Uh, uh, Adeleke, I think it's his brother or cousin... His younger brother. Yes, the late Adelike's brother won. Um, I expect the fellow to cross over to the APC in no time. So I suppose that's why there's not much rancor about his victory. And uh, But that said, I'm very delighted that the people of Oshun did not look at party. Not that party matters much, truth be told. These people are all the same, really. But they didn't look at party and they voted for whoever they want. And that the governor of Oshun State has recognized a victory and that it was peaceful and that we can move on in, with peace and progress. So there's that. Some, a little something positive for you there, Michael. Your darling PDP emerged victorious. Well, I've, uh, I don't know, I can only speak for myself. I've never truly been a die-in-the-wool PDP. I'm more, I support ideas. So GJ was close to my idea, so I supported him. But, See, uh, I don't mean to say this again, but I have to. It's only you. <laughs> that knows what idea this fellow had because the rest of Nigerians until today don't know so maybe one day maybe when you write your memoirs or something you will share with us the ideas that GJ told you he had that we still uh, don't know about well, as, as we can see people now agree that his economic policies Harry's economic policies so that could be a start <laughs> I like his economics no, I he, ha he had no economics Ngozio Okonjo well I had ideas but then you know I suppose credit to him for yeah. for for the, for giving her the room to do her thing, unlike Buhari who likes to interfere, that's cool. But GJ himself, hmm, don't insult me uh, by saying that man had ideas. He did not have any ideas. I beg. Well, the the one thing we do know now is that, as you saw, a few people celebrating uh, Buhari nomics being or Buharism becoming a dictionary <laughs> word. Can't <laughs> see that. G GJism is something that most Nigerians would prefer. So see, that's see, what see I'm signed up to. How, so. how, how do you like... I don't even know the right way to ask this question. But how, how, how does one blind oneself to like reason in such a manner? How can you celebrate such a thing? I don't understand it. Well, it, it's what uh, Yabo Obasanjo said a few years ago. Uh, pardon the language, but she said... Nigeria is one of those places where otherwise intelligent people have to prostrate before imbeciles. So what in effect happens is no matter how intelligent you are, if you join a government where the president does not give you freedom to think, you either resign or begin to concoct ridiculous arguments to support the president. And that's all that's happening now. Because even if I were in government and I didn't want to resign, what else am I supposed to say? Yes, but with all due respect, the fellow in question has never shown any any signs that there's life in that brain of his. No offense, I'm not mentioning any names, but if you know, you know. Well, he's loyal to Buhari, so yes. truth be told, there's nothing else. He, uh, loyalty he, doesn't he, require much intelligence, does it? Well, lo loyalty to Buhari means that you have to defend a lot of nonsense. So the only way to defend nonsense is to make nonsense arguments. So it's not really him. It's the person at the top who he's decided to defend. Loyalty, loyalty to government in Nigeria means you have to defend a lot of nonsense. The characters are irrespective. So let's be fair yes. now, Michael. Let's be fair. Okay. No, I'd, I'd say some presidents make your job easier than others. And truth be told, 
I think since 1999, when democracy came back, Buhari's government is the is the one that has done the most to make the job of intellectuals yes. very difficult. Yes, I mean, the the characters in his own government that you'd imagine will have some some kind of you know, they're they they're kind of been rendered useless almost. At least at least in terms of them representing what's going on to the public, because they yes. say one thing, the the presidency in quotes will come out to say something completely different or contradictory. I mean, look, look at the charade this week with the, with the acting, I mean, the Attorney General and Lai Mohammed and yeah. and the comments that that uh, President Yemi Oshimbajwa made. What's your take on that? Well, it's no wait. Give give a bit of backstory for the people who don't who don't who aren't aware. Well, I think it started off with the Vice President uh, giving some interview where. No, it started was, off with Femi Falano. Yes. Mm. So Femi Falano, uh, many of these are emergency senior advocates, came on TV and gave an interview claiming that the president does not need to consult the Senate before confirming the or appointing the EFCC chairman. Well, he's right there, but we'll get on, we'll get on to why he's right in a moment. Carry well, on. It's not necessarily clear that he's right. He is. But even setting aside that... The matter came to the vice president, and obviously the vice president decided to add his two cents by claiming that, yes, Falano seemed to be making a very good case. So he didn't necessarily say he agreed with Falano. He just said Falano made a very strong uh, persuasive argument in that regard. Mm. That obviously offended the Senate because the Senate had already rejected Magu twice. Mm -hmm. And they saw that as the vice president and Falano somehow ganging up. Well, the vice president in particular, because Falano doesn't really matter in the scheme of things. But yes. the vice president kind of thumbing his thumbing his nose at them and, and their and their own constitutional powers, vis-a-vis yeah. confirming ministers and so on and so forth. Yes, so that got them annoyed and they said, in effect, they would no longer deal with any government resolutions until that issue is resolved. Do any government uh, messages to the Senate until that issue is resolved? And then at the last Federal Executive Council meetings, which they hold very rarely these days, uh, the, the Attorney General was asked the question as to did he agree with the Vice President or, or Acting President or did he not? And he more or less gave a statement claiming that the Vice President was on his own. Yes, <laughs> I mean, that, that was a summary of that statement. Yes, um, so, I mean they can they can try to twist it and say he said it wasn't discussed at, at the FEC. The point yeah. is the cocoa, like Nigerians say, the cocoa of the statement is that the fellow decided to act alone and it had nothing to do with the FEC. If you have any, any, if you can discern, if you have any spirit of discernment, if you read that statement, that's essentially what the fellow was trying to say. And seated yeah. next to him was Lai Muhammad, who you assume would would shed in quote some light on, on, on the events, but I think to be honest, whatever he said was ne- was neither here nor there. So, I mean, that showed you the limits of uh, Oshimbajo's influence and persuasiveness at the at the FEC. I think the power center is very much somewhere else. You know, well, to be, the only thing I'd say is to be fair to the attorney general. Mm. My reading of the statement was not him literally trying to throw. The, the acting president under the boss. I think what he was trying to say, he was trying to diplomatically explain that this was not an issue that came up at the Federal Executive Council, so I can't comment on something that wasn't yes, but discussed. I, I actually agree with you, yeah. but, but I mean, I think in, in these instances, the, the, the thing is people are looking for clues everywhere. And yes. if you're not full-throated in support of somebody, They'll see you as as being against them, and his I think yeah. his I think his statement, where in another circumstance wouldn't have even raised eyebrows, in these yeah. circumstances just suggested that okay this guy is definitely creating a fissure between maybe himself in particular and the acting president and the acting president given certain rumors that have been circulating around what his own potential role could be, yes. you know given given Buhari's uh, current current state of health, so. Well, yeah. I agree. He's obviously a Buhari loyalist, but I think the, the bigger issue is what has always, what now seems to be a, be a recurring theme with this government, which is they never seem to discuss the important issues and they never seem to be on the same page. So I would have expected this was in the UK, 
if the Senate or Parliament had made such an, such an important statement, it would have been on the agenda of the next cabinet meeting. So all the ministers would have agreed what they'd say and speak to the media. But I don't know who it is, who is the diary secretary or the agenda, the secretary of the government. Oh, we don't even have one, actually. He's still on suspension. So I don't, I'm not quite sure who is setting the agenda of these meetings and who didn't think to, talk, to table that issue as number one so that when ministers go out to talk to the press... They'll have talking points, you know. Right? Yes, they have yeah. talking points. But that seems to be the, the main issue. I, I don't think there was any conspiracy to throw the prof under the bus. I just think I it was, was a case result. of whoever it is that's supposed to be Secretary General or Acting Secretary, uh, Secretary of the Government did not do his job. I mean, I think if you, if, you, if you put a bunch of them in a bag and you hit the bag, whichever one gets hit probably deserves it. That's the state. <laughs> yeah, that's the state of the FEC at the moment. I don't think any of them is really justifying. I mean, I can speak for myself. I, I mean, I saw that. I saw this week. One of my old tweets was dug up by the usual low lives who hang around in my uh, mentions. One of my well, old tweets. One of, my, people. one of my yeah. old tweets was dug up and it said, uh, I have uh, full confidence in Buhari. It's from 2015, May or so, June, I can't recall. I have full confidence in Buhari and I have full, full confidence that the president will prove to have been on our side. I mean, that's how much I was hopeful that this was going to turn out right. I mean, I, you know, so considering all that confidence, all that hope, all that sacrifice, everything that somebody like me felt towards this administration. At, at his beginning, I think you can say that nobody, without exception, nobody has justified any of it, you know, and we don't even want to start talking about the, uh, the president himself. So, well, I, I suppose the, I have two points to make on that. Mm. The first, which is, I think the, the listeners would want to know is, why are they low lives for pointing out something that you yourself said? It's, it's not as um, if they I think, quoted you. No, yeah, I think they're low lives because they want to stay at a particular place. They don't want to move on. They don't... I mean, look, we, you and I have been having this particular series for, what, maybe four months now? We've been going, you know, reviewing. I don't, yeah. I don't shrill for the presidency. I don't shrill for Buhari. I speak as I've... I cr I've criticized the fellow many, many times. The first yeah. article I wrote after the, after the presidential election was a critical one. Was what, sorry, was, was, was critiquing his approach. So I've never been a placard carrier for the government. I've always been, I supported this fellow because I thought he was best for Nigeria at, this, at the time in question. And given the same set of circumstances, I can't say, I mean, I know this is cliche to you by now, but I will probably have made, I will probably have made this, make the same decision again. So the point now is we have admitted, a lot of us, myself included, have admitted that this fellow has failed. What now do we do? But some people are so reluctant to move on. I mean, I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Schadenfreude. But the Schadenfreude is misplaced because, as they often remind me, I am not the one feeling the immediate effects of this government's failure. Though I have immediate family in Nigeria. I mean, my sister, who, was, who I told you before the show, is a Quranic scholar. <laughs> she lives in Lagos with her baby and her husband. Do you understand? So I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I mean, though it's secondhand, I'm feeling some of the pain directly. So... I've, all, I've said, I mean, as early as 2016, that this is what we did, this is the result of what we did, and this is where we are. We can continue to dance on the graves of, of lost hopes and lost aspirations due to, the, to Buhari's utter failure, or we can move on. I've taken that L. I've taken that L very publicly. But some people don't want to move on. Some people would rather stay in the moment and live off some silly hope and joy as a result of Buhari's failure, though their pockets are tighter. No, I suppose the way I would look at it is from my experience of living in England, where I've come across people who did their PhD in 19 or 18, 16 medieval history or something. So I think there is a place in politics for people who decide they only want to focus on 2015 and nothing else. I think that's just part of the uh, political history. That's political fine. They should go and focus on it somewhere else. Anybody, and I and I really mean this. If there's yeah. a, if there's if you're going to dig in my tweets to illustrate a particular point pertinent to right now, that is to say, if I claim if I go on the tier and I claim that I never supported Buhari, and then you dig up my tweets to prove that I did, that's yeah. perf that's perfectly fine. And I you know that's that's really good. But if you're going to do it just to have a little laugh into whatever, I, I'm down to make fun of myself. But then after that, yeah. let's 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 have a serious discussion. 
But there are some people who are determined to only be in that bubble. That's their prerogative, but I will block the the F out of anybody who does it. That's this, I mean, I'm tired. It's so ridiculous now. We cannot keep living in that moment. And these people are playing the games that they're playing. They don't give a damn about our silly little partisan uh, pretensions. They're eating dinner together as we speak, you know. So why should we be stuck in a moment when the people that we all carried, we all carried our hopes behind are getting on and doing things that they choose, but yet we refuse to move on? I've had enough of it, yeah? Well, as I said, I can't really fault anybody. Uh, there should be a freedom of, of, I of thought. I I suggest you either delete those tweets so nobody can I? find them, or you leave them there. No! Why should we be deleting tweets? It's, it's, it's cowardice to be deleting tweets. You can delete tweets if a particular person takes offense to the tweet and you're sorry and you've apologized. You delete the tweet so they no longer have to see it and no longer have to feel bad. But when well, it's I, suppose, I suppose the, the point I'm making is if they're published, which is what a tweet is, mm. then as long as they're published, somebody will still keep commenting on them. Yes. And I think, in the, in, to be fair, I think they're entitled to do so because... The, the statement you made is still public, published. They are entitled to do it, but away from yes. me because I will block them. That's it. If you, you can <laughs> well, do it away away from my timeline. I mean, my timeline is open. It's not locked. I have not deleted these tweets. They're all there. And, you know, do you understand what I mean? That, yes. I think the point of Twitter is to record a particular time. So we, how I was feeling, what I was thinking at that time, like for you, is recorded, even for history's sake. You yes. Know? So I don't agree with all of us going. I mean, imagine if we had Twitter during the Civil War. The gem, you know. Do you understand what I mean? Like, what would we, what would we discover today? It'd be priceless. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, some kid in ten years can decide to study this moment and look through our, our tweets to to find out the feeling and flavor of the times. So, I'm doing my bit to history in preserving my tweets and leaving them as they are. So, yeah. Well, obviously, it's you also have the freedom to block who you wish. So, it's, oh, I do. There's, there's freedoms on both sides. So that's that. You're exact correct. But on to the second point, which was, I think, th- this issue also highlights the main, one of the main personality flaws of Buhari, which is, he's, by nature, he doesn't talk much. And even when people are trying to talk to him, and trying to say, sir, we need to go left, or sir, we need to go right, he doesn't give responses to issues. And that is where a lot of the confusion comes from. That's why his team appears confused, because nobody actually knows what the dude wants to do on certain issues. And I remember before the elections, or just after he won, people made it seem like he was some sort of virtue, that we had a leader that didn't give any clues. But we are now seeing why it's becoming a problem. Because I I have it on good authority that there have been times where even two close ministers will go see him about the same issue, and he won't answer the question. No, I mean... So they find themselves on TV contradicting each other mm. because Buhari did not tell them what to do. I mean, look, we to be honest with you, speaking about Buhari, a lot doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really help because as we don't know if the fellow is alive, if he's got his full uh, capacity on death. We don't know anything. We need to speak about the now. So now let's move on to the drama in the Senate. Yeah. When PYO came back from his, uh, I think, what was his visit to some African joint, he came yeah. back, and uh, unbeknownst to the senator, was back in the country, and one senator, was it Abaribe, yeah. tried to propose that, owing to his absence and the president's very famous absence, um, Bahar uh, 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 Saraki should be declared the acting president, and he was promptly and swiftly overruled by Saraki himself. But a lot of people felt that that was an opening salvo into what is probably some kind of surreptitious plan to, 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 to wedge Saraki between Oshinbajo and Buhari and eventually to help him find himself in the number one seat. What's your take on that? Well, the, the thing is, it's hard to tell because, as, as most of the yourself and the listeners know, Nigeria is a place where sycophancy is an art form in itself. So there are many times people do something that they ascribe to you when, in fact, you had no involvement in the issue. So oftentimes you have a senator or even a governor or a minister introduce some kind of motion as a way of showing uber loyalty to the ogre at the top. And people will think, oh, this person had a hand in pushing it. 
So I may be wrong, but I genuinely do not think Saraki was in any way involved in that motion being moved. And I think that's why he shot it down quickly. But I think what it was, the, the message he was sending, which I think is a valid one, is this. I know that by convention, even within the security setup, the president and the vice president are not allowed to be out of the country at the same time. Mm. Because somebody needs to be around to be in charge. Mm. So this new uh, relationship where the guy at the top is in London, I don't know what nobody knows where he is, and then suddenly the vice president has gone on a uh, meeting to somewhere in Africa, some African country. That in itself is, is a novel thing. And this is something that has only started happening on the uh, Buhari's government. This is one of the new frontiers this government has taken Nigerians to. So I see where uh, the frustration came from, from the senator. And my guess is obviously he probably wasn't, maybe he wasn't acting alone. Maybe he got some briefings from generals or other politicians and said, somebody said, look, somebody has to table this issue. So so are, you, are, you, are, you, are you suggesting that the issue was tabled out of some concern for Nigeria? Because I'm rolling my eyes right now. Well, obviously our politicians are, many of them are eternally selfish. So obviously, on the one hand, uh, Baribay might have been trying to show loyalty to Saraki by suggesting, let's make Oga acting president. But at the same time, there's also the sentiment amongst Nigerians that, look, what kind of system is this? Nobody knows where the CEO is. The deputy CEO has left the country. So who is in charge? And so I think in, in that regard, I think it's a, it's a valid uh, issue that he raised, i.e. we need a permanent president and permanent vice president. I don't think the framers of a constitution anticipated a president disappearing for uh, over 60 days. Mm. Um, I think there's a, there is a, a proper way to do that. Um, I don't think that the way he did it is the proper way to go about it. And I think the concerns, I mean, looking, looking at the situation, I think the concerns are valid. Um, you can't have a situation whereby number one and number two are out of the country at the same time. But the way it came down looked very dodgy. <laughs> and given, yeah. given, 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 given the differences between the executive and the Senate president in particular, um, yeah, it, it, it all looked very dodgy. And I, I, I suppose the Senate appears fixed on contributing their own quotas to the uncertainty in the country. And I'm not exonerating the executive from this because it's, it's very well known what they're doing. I mean, for goodness sake, the president is still out of the country. But I don't think the Senate has managed to grab the obvious, in my opinion, leadership vacuum by the mantle and really step up to the plate. I think the Senate is... is, is, is continuing to be egotistical and very petty. You know, I don't think they really grasp the, the, the magnitude of the task in front of them. So that that's it on that particular issue. Now, coming back to our, our uh, 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 budget issue, we've got the Minister for Power, Housing and Works, Babatunde Fashola, who himself is also involved in a running commentary battle with the Senate. What's your take on that? Well, um... Obviously, you, you, people might see me as biased, but... Uh, might? <laughs> okay. well, they could say I'm, I'm, I'm partisan, but the truth is, maybe I should give some context here. The first time I got to see Fashola in the flesh was, I think, maybe 2009 or something, or 2010, when I was living in Oxford, and he came to deliver a speech to the University of Oxford, and... Things were going well. It, it was one of those sort of, uh, uh, as, as they say in Nigeria, one of those type of hallelujah events yeah, where yeah. everybody was praising Fashola. Mm -hmm. Soft questions, etc. Yeah. Yes. So I remember getting up and asking him a question. Actually, even said, look, well done for the work that they say you're doing in Lagos. But I asked him a question. I said, look, the issue is water. Every time I visit Nigeria, there's no water in the taps. People are having to drink bottled water, and it's dangerous. It causes typhoid and all kinds of diseases. What is Lagos doing about that? And I was struck by his response because you could see that his, his, uh, his countenance switched. He became very angry and answered the question in a way that implied, who is this person that has dared to sour the mood by asking me a question that somehow questions my, my so-called competence? Mm. And 
Rome, all of his truth be told, he's an intelligent man, he's very eloquent. I like eloquent and intelligent politicians, I'm always drawn to them. So I like him for that. But the one thing I, I've noticed has always followed him is this almost chronic inability to take responsibility for issues. As soon as anything goes wrong, he gets angry and he's always looking to, to throw somebody under the bus. And I think that is what is coming to the fore again. The whole concept of a budget is even in the UK or in the US, whose politics we've sort of tried to copy is the executive presents something to the Senate and the House, and there's negotiations back and forth until they can arrive at something that is mutually acceptable. No side can ever win 100%. But what you do is you, you negotiate and agree a document. And I remember the speech when the uh, acting president signed that budget. He talked about how this is the beginning of the implementation of their growth plan to take the country out of recession, blah, blah, blah. He even tweeted about it on his tiers, on the acting president's tier. So as far as I'm concerned, after you, you all showed up, you were displaying your teeth, uh, even though you were six over six months late in getting the budget through, you're all smiling, slapping, contracting yourselves on the back, and the budget is here. What reasonable Nigerians, ordinary Nigerians would expect is that, quite frankly, you shut your trap and implement the budget. Mm, but instead, I have to challenge. I have to challenge you there. I mean, I've, I've listened to you. And, uh, largely, I agree. But so I'm sort of familiar with the American budgeting system because I have a running obsession with the country. Um, so, say for example, you know they had a thing they used to call pork projects and all that. Yep. So that's not, yes, that. that's yes. Not, yes, that's not tacked onto the budget, Michael. That's tacked onto legislation. So legis legislation that emanates from the Senate or from the House or wherever, that's tacked onto there. It's not so they might say, Oh, the the Affordable Care Act and then you find a line in there about some airport in some random town in Nevada, you know, because that's what one senator needs before he gives his votes. It's not yeah. tacked onto the budget because the budget is a process. Right? No, the, but wait, you're listen, forgetting listen, that. Let me, wait, let me finish. The budget is a yeah. process whereby each relevant parastatal or ministry will come and defend it, cost it, tell them how they arrive at the cost, and whatever. So the, 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 the relevant committees might say, okay, you don't necessarily need to spend all this money on this project, right? But not, they can't now cut the project and move the funds somewhere else because the somewhere else they're moving it to has to be defended and costed and presented. So they don't have the power to just unilaterally take the cost from one ministry and allocate it to another ministry without it being costed and defended. Do you understand? But, but, but that's that not, is what wait, that is what the Nigerian Senate is in effect doing. Well that but that's not quite correct because obviously I am uh, currently actually studying the US law. I've got my exams in two weeks, fingers crossed that I pass. But Amen. One of the, the, like, for example, one of the things we studied on the course, we looked at even on the course, was how the Senate or the House under Obama, and I think they did it under uh, Clinton as well, shut down government because the, the uh, government ceiling. the government refused to cut, cut, on, cut spending. So it's, it's not quite correct so how, to say... How does, that, how does that disprove what I've just said to you? There's a debt ceiling, obviously, and... There's an ideological, there's an ideological vehicle on one side that's determined to bring the debt ceiling down. So how does that relate? How does that relate to people well, unilaterally taking the budget of one ministry, of one power state, and chopping it down, and then imposing their own cost on the ministry and well, reallocating the ministry's budget well, to their own personal? But that's, but that's personal the point. The point budgets. is, they take, they remove, they cut funding. They say no, work should not have ten billion. Work should have five billion. And then what then happens is the same, they want to move the money here. And the Senate negotiates with the House. The story... And uh, the White House. And the White House. Yes, and the White House. Well, the story Fashion is trying to tell is almost as if this budget was redrafted, we didn't have a say, and now it's here. No, but that's not what happened. No, but Michael, have you, have, you, have, you, have you, wait, listen, have you read Fashion letter? Because honestly, I have to be honest, I agree with him. It's not a matter of... The U.S. Senate is not going to cut $5 billion from... From say I don't know Homeland Security, which they probably will never cut their budget, but let's assume they're not going to cut Homeland Security five billion, and decide to build I don't know a a, a garden path in some little well, town in Arkansas or a public tap. 
in some in in, in some little town in Birmingham, well, Alabama. Then well, they're not going to do that. The point is, it's those are political issues, and even in, in America and in Britain, we have the. I mean, look what is happening with Theresa May. That in order to get the DUP support, she's having to add an extra one billion to her spending plans for this year. So it's part of the whole political process. There's nothing unusual about that. I, if I were senator representing, unusual about it, Michael, and it's like you're deliberately missing the point because you're being partisan. They are not what? cutting. So the fellow has said, you're not cutting the budget. You're not reallocating funds, uncosted funds, to another national project. You're reallocating it and imposing yourself on the state. So they're providing what? boreholes from a national budget. That is a state. What? 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 The point issue. is, they are re- there's, they're so they're moving money around, but. The Senate does not sign the budget. They negotiate these things with the, with the federal government. They have That's what. That's the point. Fashola has said they've come in, defended their, 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 they've defended their estimates. They've done all kinds of presentations with the with the relevant committees. Do you know what I mean? And then the committees have unilaterally decided to move funds to boreholes and PhDs or whatever but, have you. So the, the he's, question, not, he's but, not saying that there was a give and take. He's saying they decided this on their own, and this has been a but, long run in practice. But, 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 Tola, you know that that is absolute nonsense. Why is it what nonsense? Happens, what happens is, even in, as I've said, England, America, everywhere, they negotiate these things. That's in England and America, times, Michael. That's in England and America. You will never find the, 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 the um, Homeland Security Secretary coming out to say, oh, they moved my money from here to here. Because there's a process, there's a process, like you just said, and I've agreed. There what, is a what, process. what does he mean? They moved my money. Was he? Did they not read the budget before they signed it? That's, yeah, that's now that is the question. Yeah. This right here is a question. Why? Why was the budget signed? This, but, but, so that's, on that's this the point question, I'm that's, you and I can agree on this question, and maybe the budget was signed under duress given the time of year and how long it's taken already. I don't know. I can pause it, but that is a valid question, and I can agree but, but, with you on that but, question. Well, that's the point I'm making, which is you negotiate back and forth. There's nobody on earth, unless people want to say when the executive presents a budget, nobody should question it, it's just approve it. You have to have these negotiations. That's part of politics. And in many respects, this is the source of Buhari's problems with the Senate. I think APC is struggling to have an understanding that, look, you don't get your way with the legislature. You have to be ready to accept that, look, I might have to build some boreholes if I want to get this other bit of project passed. No, that, that, is, that is classic. Michael, so you, this is the thing. When it suits you, you advocate for like the properness of things, the, the proper way of doing things, okay? And, and you're like, oh, there's, there's, there's the rule of law, there's this, there's that, and I'm on the same page with you with, as, on that. And when it doesn't yeah. suit you, you advocate for all these underhanded tactics to continue. No, but, the point but there's is, no, there's this, no rule behavior, of law here. this behavior, this behavior is improper. And it's is, it, is, it, is he against the law? That's the question. Is it, are they anything that, illegal? That's the, that's the point of the, of the executive. This thing is improper because the constitution does not allow for them to do it. That is the case that the executive is trying to make. Well, okay, let, let me, because I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but let me, let me stress one issue. You see, there's a theme here. The first is with this uh, EFCC, EFCC thing where the executive is saying they don't need the government's permission. Well, before you sent his name to the Senate for ratification, the Attorney General, who is your chief legal advisor, would have advised you to do that based on the Constitution. No, I think so, that has been done based on convention. Because I, where's it? Where's the Constitution? Where's that Constitution? Well, document? okay. Let me, let me finish my point. My point is, that's the job of your Attorney General to tell you what to do. So you cannot now do something, and then when it doesn't go your way, you turn around and claim, well, I it's agree. illegal. I agree with you on and, that. And this is the second time this is happening now. They, you sent a budget. It was brought back. I don't know if they bothered to read it. They signed it, tapped themselves on the back, took pictures, smiled, and are now turning around to tell us that even though you signed a budget, that somehow what the Senate did was illegal. Are you trying to say you are incompetent? Okay. I think that's more or less what they're telling us, that you didn't read the document? or what? Quite All frankly, right, so, what kind of... So the question the question you're, you're asking, I completely agree with. I think there is a terrible inconsistency with this government, and they don't they don't strategize; they only react, and I think that's quite terrible. However, on the Madhu issue, the constitution is clear. The only class of of uh, of appointees to be sent to the Senate for nominate uh, for confirmation are are overseas cadre, so that's the uh, the uh, ambassadors and the high commissioners and ministers. 
AFCC is an extra ministerial body attached to the, to the, I think, the AG's office, right? So Magu is not a minister, and the constitution does not require for names of non-ministers, heads of extra ministerial bodies, to be sent to the Senate. The constitution is very clear on that. However, there has developed a terrible, not terrible, it's only terrible because there's this difference between the Senate and the executive. There has developed a, a convention, a convention whereby they do this, because the EFCC Act does state that the head of the EFCC is to be sent subject to the Senate's confirmation. That, to me, is wrong. But it's not wrong. And I'll explain what I mean. By convention, it's okay. When everything is going right between the, the executive and the legislature, there's no problem sending the EFCC's name, uh, head of EFCC's name to the, to the Senate. I mean, they've done it before. They've done it, what, three, three times before, and everything has gone swimmingly, right? The problem here now is... The executive seems fixated on Magu. Only God knows why, because I don't understand it myself. They seem fixated on Magu as the EFCC chair. Now, they have sent him twice, and the Senate has rejected him twice, as is their prerogative. Forget whatever reasons they've rejected him, I think is irrelevant. They have used their constitutionally allowed powers to reject or approve a nominee, and they have rejected the fellow twice. And to be honest with you, they probably should not have considered him the second time once they refused him the first time. Once the executive acknowledges that the EFCC Establishment Act states that you need to send the head of the EFCC to the Senate for confirmation and they follow that step, they cannot and should not now turn around and refer to the Constitution and say, oh, we shouldn't have sent him to you in the first place. You need to decide how you want to move. Don't, when things don't go your way, start crying that it's illegal or we shouldn't have done it, we just did it out of respect. So on that point, I agree with you. Right. No. However, that does not negate a point. Maybe this will be for future application. That does not negate the point that for so long things have been done improperly by the executive and by the legislature. This is not about taking sides. For so long things have been done improperly. If the government wants to now start being a stickler for the law, there has to be a stickler for the law from the beginning, not well, when but, things but, don't go their way. But, but the point is, right from 1999, we've had many many attorneys general who have been far more intelligent and competent than the current Malami. We've had Bayo Joe, we've had Kanu Agabi, we've had even Mohamed Bello Adoke. These are all very, very sharp people. They've always sent the names of the EFCC to the Senate. That's correct. They've always had this issue with the budget where they've negotiated and sometimes projects have been gotten in that they didn't, I, I, they didn't particularly want or they agreed that that was part of the process. So my point is with all due respect to this ABC government, it's time to, quite frankly, shut their traps and go to the Supreme Court to get a definitive ruling, ruling of this issue. Because, truth be told, Fashola and Falano and whoever, Prof, are making it seem like it's clear court, clear court law. It is not. If it was a straightforward legal issue that had been determined, other attorney generals would not have done that. So if they're saying it's illegal, then go to court so we, we, we know... Finally, that yes, the Senate is just there to rubber stamp, and the Senate cannot uh, change the, the, the contents of the budget. But what they should not be doing is what they've been doing since 2015, which is wasting our time with whining instead of getting on with the, with the job of actually implementing their budget. We're on the same page with this point. I can't even disagree. I agree completely, especially on this on this uh, on this budget and EFCC issue. Approach the court for interpretation. Get your judgment or get your ruling. Let's move on. And we know how we're going to do this thing in the future. So, yes. you know, we, we just face the task at hand. So I agree with you on that. But that is not to say that their points completely lack merit. Though I think the points are irrelevant at this point in time, given that the budget has been signed and they've already sent Magu's name twice. So now you can't turn around and say you never should have done it. Well, you did it. And they acted constitutionally in the Senate and said no. So, yeah, I, we're, we're, we're on the same page with that. But... I think this is what happens when you do things without recourse to what you yourselves have passed as law, and then it comes a time where you disagree, and then you say, no, nah, the law is on my side. We do things properly from the beginning, but we don't, we don't have these, these, these kinds of issues, you know? Anyway, nice to see that we actually got there in the end, Michael. <laughs> so, let's move on to our gossip section now. This is where, guys, don't at me on the TL asking me for evidence. This is where we, this pure gossip. Okay? Yeah. We're just, we're just, we're just uh, commenting on the machinations behind the scene without much evidence. It's gossip, alright? So follow, follow us. What do you think about Buhari's chances of coming back? Well, 
quite frankly, I may be wrong. And truth be told, I'm actually hoping I'm wrong. But I think he's, I, I don't think he's going to uh, come back and be able to govern. I think whatever is illness is afflicting him is is probably gone too far. So I think all that we probably have to do now is, is probably they probably have to work out a way to ease him out of the presidency. But I think his presidency is effectively over, although I, I hope I'm wrong. Mm. Well, not to wish death or ill health on anybody. You know, I wish him a speedy recovery and may God's will take place. That's that's my take on that. But now, let's forget the whole name. Oshimbajo is there. These machinations are kicking into high gear, Michael. What do you see? What does the oracle tell you? What's going on? Well, the real issue is there, there are two things. The underlying theme, I think as I was, I was having this conversation with a few people on Twitter a few months ago, the, or a few weeks ago, the underlying theme, once again, is in quotations, power must return to the north. Mm. So that's the foundation of the, the whole problem which is the, a section of the northern elite are concerned with how do we ensure that we hold power. And I think for them, learning from history, the main issue was they, they sense that if Jonathan had been on his own, Jonathan would just have been president up until 2011 and then handed over to a northerner. Their suspicion is that it was the backing of Obasanjo that gave Jonathan the courage to go for a full term himself. So their main concern is who is the Obasanjo to Osip or Simanjo? Or who is Oshimbajo. Yeah. We, we discuss this every time, Michael. Yeah. I'm sorry, So who is the Obasanjo figure to Oshimbajo? And that is uh, probably Bola uh, Tinubu. But he's been so quiet. Well, yes, there's, uh, there's certain stages of the game where you now go underground and do your plotting from there because he knows he's now, he's now on the verge of becoming a big player. So the problem with many of them is how do we ensure that if we hand over to the prof that uh, Bolatilibu does not rear his head and become the, the wise eminence behind the throne? And because once... Tinubu throws his full weight behind Prof. It will literally be a war to tell him that, look, you cannot run in 2019. So I think that's what the real issue is. They're trying to negotiate a way to avoid uh, that scenario. Negotiate with whom? Well, the elite are obviously talking to themselves. They will, travel, they will talk to Babangida, they will talk to Obasanjo, they will talk to Tinubu, they will be shuttling by private jet to various state capitals, trying to arrange... A, a visit because I was, I was even asking a few journalists that why is Emmy of Kano always seem to be <laughs> in Aguda House these days? Almost every two weeks you see a picture of Emmy of Kano arriving there. You know, he seems to be one of the emissaries uh, delivering messages back and forth. Mm. So some sort of negotiations are taking place. Okay, so because I mean to me and correct me if I'm wrong, this might this might be my feigned naivete again, but isn't it a given that? Tinubu would be behind uh, uh, Oshimbaju? Well, not necessarily because, you see, politicians are devious people. uh, I bet you if Jonathan could have a gun, he would shoot some people. They're, They're devious people. So this is what, one of the things they did to Jonathan was, if you recall, you saw from the WikiLeaks cables that were leaked around that time, Many of the northern old guards said, look, we will support Jonathan, but we want him to distance himself from Bassanjo, because at that time in the north, Bassanjo was toxic. And Jonathan, trying to be a peacemaker, to say, okay, look, I want all of you, all of Nigeria, to feel part of this presidency. I will do my best to limit Bassanjo's influence. So nobody feels as if this is an extension of Bassanjo's presidency, because at the time, that was the main northern fear that Obasanjo was returning. They didn't like him at all. But when he did that with Obasanjo, those same people who pushed him to step away from Obasanjo now went round and aligned themselves with Obasanjo to fight Jonathan. So 
the question is, the same thing will happen again. Many of these uh, northern uh, politicians will go to Prof and say, look, one, one condition we have for supporting you is you remove yourself from Tinubu because we don't want a body non-presidency, we want a Nigerian presidency in quotations. And I bet you someone like Obasanjo would be at the forefront of that because Obasanjo does not want to compete for Southwest dominance with Tinubu. So all these guys go and whisper to mm -hmm. Prof. And if Prof could decide, okay, I'll do that, I'll step away from Tinubu and allow all of you to have an equal stake, and then history might be played I don't, I don't see that happening because I think the North is so badly burnt by Jonathan's constitutionally right and fair decision to run again in 2000. And even in 2011, yeah. maybe. So I think that they're, they're so burnt by that that I don't think it's a risk that they're willing to take. Which is why we've got this protracted drama surrounding uh, Buhari's conditions, uh, condition. rather. So I think that informs that. And also, the North doesn't have the same kind of... So I'm thinking, uh, let, me, let me just uh, explain what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if, say for example... Oshimbaje becomes president in 2019. Uh, 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 yes. The old northern hegemony is at threat because a lot of them will be really old. Yes. Really old. And I don't think that the, at least maybe again, this is me being optimistic, I don't think the guys behind them are as united and wanting a, a one collective uh, a northern voice because, I mean, you have northern minorities that are stronger now and they're louder in wanting to assert their own differences. You know, so I, I don't think, and I, I mean, honestly, I believe this on some hand is probably for the good of the country. I don't think that the Tambowal generation, for example, is as united as the, the class of 66 and those immediately um, after those guys. Um, yeah. So it, the, the, the thing is, I don't see a situation whereby the prof will agree to distance himself from Tinubu. I also don't see a situation whereby Obasanjo could openly come out against prof. Um, I think if he does that, he risks his stature in the southwest, which, to be honest with you, I don't understand why it's so big, because he doesn't have a single politician in terms of as governor, in the Senate, in the House. So whether, I mean, I suppose this, his stature comes from his, his history, with Nigeria, yep. so I don't really know if he's as big as people think he is, but maybe he is. I, I mean, I don't know. But come, come, come to the day where the decision has to be made vis-a-vis -vis Buhari's uh, presidency. I don't see a way. I mean, I think these people realize they're backed into a corner, Michael. That's why this game is going on because how are they ever going to convince Oshimbajo to not run in 2019? Let's say he wants to. They've got no. They've got nothing. If you want to if I want to negotiate with you, I have to be able to offer you something, no? Well, they they have uh, a choice. You see, the the PDP is still there, mm -hmm. and what could happen, which is the PDP has already said, look, we're zoning the presidency to the north. So, you know, these uh, northern elites, like all political elites in Nigeria, mm -hmm. have no qualms with jumping from one party to the other. Oh yeah, I know that. So, if they see Prof is insistent on running. They could all return to PDP, and PDP at the moment is strong in the south-south and the southeast. Mm -hmm. And they could run via that axis, and in theory they could still win, i.e. the north could still take power. So they, they do have an alternative uh, voice, and for better or for worse, the truth is there is obviously ill feeling between the southeast Southwest, Southeast, South, South elites, and the Southwest elite. On the other hand, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that can be exploited. Yes, so that'll be exploited to aid the North in taking power. But then the second point, which uh, I think most listeners should probably bear in mind, is the real another thing that is causing the North real panic is Buhari's presidency has been probably one of the most divisive presidencies in the history of Nigeria. And their main fear is once a southerner takes power, for example, Prof or anybody, 
nobody's going to be able to tell Prof that he cannot appoint all his team from people from Abel Kuta or from Lagos if he wants. Nobody has the moral authority to say anything. If Prof decides that he wants to do another DSS recruitment, scan, uh, DSS recruitment and everybody there should come from uh, uh, Edo State, nobody can say anything. So their main fear is that, look, we've abused our powers and the shoe is about to be moved to the other foot. So we are now on the verge of receiving what we've just dished out. So that, that is also another issue that is causing major panic. Hmm. I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't even think they're that conscientious. I don't even think they care, to, <laughs> to be honest. I think you're giving them a bit too much credit because unfortunately for Prof, much of the, uh, of the, of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, much of Nigeria's infrastructure in terms of leaders and security outfits still firmly in the hands of Northerners. So they know how to form in trouble if that's what they want to do. Um, well, but, well, yes, they, they can still cause trouble, but the new president can come in and remove all of them, and nobody can say anything. They, they, don't, they literally don't have the moral authority to literally complain, so nobody's going to listen. So the rest what, of my job will just be like, look, quiet yourselves. How long do you think this drama can go on for? Because, I mean, to be honest with you, it's not good for the country at all. It's making the security situation much worse because... Nobody knows what's going on. The kind of stability you expect in a functional country does not exist in Nigeria because everybody's jittery about what tomorrow holds vis-a-vis Buhari's coming back or not coming back, the northern reaction to him, God forbid, expiring in office. You know, everybody's nervous. You know, so I think when, when will cooler heads prevail? When will they all get together and say, look, enough of this, as, as happened with Umya? When, when some people said, you know what, enough is enough. We're just going to call a spade a spade and end the charade right now. Why hasn't well, that happened yet? Well, I think it will end when the, uh, in quotations, owners of Nigeria finally arrive at their resolution. They're still holding meetings. When they've concluded their meeting and agreed on what next, that's when it will end. So, well, that, that's the sad thing about Nigeria where nobody seems to be able to because for example in the UK and America in the US you have think tanks where you have intellectuals who are constantly thinking about things and publicly arguing various positions to move their countries forward Mm -hmm. in Nigeria on the other hand everybody pretends like nothing is happening until Obasanjo or Babangida gives them permission to talk about an issue of the sudden Babangida has, has given his blessing to this idea of restructuring. So. Yes. <laughs> so, for example, everybody's now talking about restructuring because Babangida has now said it's okay. Before then, if you asked any intellectual, what do you think about restructuring, they'll tell you, oh, that's a meaningless slogan. What we need to focus on is good leadership. And that's what they are doing exactly with Buhari at the moment. But Obasanjo or whoever has not told them it's okay. So they are saying, oh, keep quiet and pray for the president. Yes, Why well, should you want the president with all, with, all, with all due respect, Michael, right? I know we're, we're talking about these people as if they're all a monolith and, and, and it's a big hegemony. Uh, 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 the Nigerian Senate, I mean, Nigerian National Assembly is heterogeneous. It represents all areas of the country. Like you said, yeah. there is open fissures between the southeast, south-south, and the southwest. Um, what stops, in quotes, what stops representatives and senators and governors or whatever from this part of the country that are perceived to be out of power and at odds with the status quo, what stops them? Okay, I know Nandi Khan is doing his thing, and I think his thing is quite important because that thing is the reason we're having some of these conversations that we're having today, whether I agree yeah. with the style or not. But I think his emergence is going to prove to be a watershed in the end. Um, what stops... The other leaders, the ones that hold elected office, what stops them from speaking? Well, it's the same thing that is stopping all the others because, as we've said, both the intellectual class, I don't want to blanket everybody, the intellectual class, the media class, the political class, the vast number of them are all patronage people. So they don't talk until somebody says it's okay to talk. So with the southeast and the south south. They're all under Obasanjo's patronage of it. I don't understand. Yes, they're all tied to one patronage network or the other. And then you combine that with the fact that the EFCC was effectively used to silence many of the southern, south south and southeast politicians. If you notice, 
it was literally Namdi Kanu and Ayofayo Sheh that literally became the opposition, the noisemakers, because everybody else was too scared to talk. So that's what's basically happening at the moment. Everybody, you either ESCC comes to, I mean, look at, for example, look at Ben Bruce. There's a time when Ben Bruce was making noise. All he took was for Amcon to seize one of his companies. Well, he's got to make a noise. Yes, but he's, he's, now, make, he's now making irrelevant noise. Not polite, the kind of noise. polite noise. He's making. Yes, that's what I mean. So, <laughs> so the, the, the class as a whole uh, under the influence of one godfather or one EFCC person or the other. So no, nobody speaks freely. So that, that's why, in, in many respects, I don't I 100% agree with Namdi Kalu. One of the things I, I, I like is the way these people are disrupting a, a, a cabal-type yes, system. Me, 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 me too. Me too. Yeah. I, think I, I, really li- I really like that. I like that he's keeping some people in their toes. I like that he's caused the Southeast governors to fashion out a position on Nigeria, I really like that. Um, I think, um, permit me to take the liberty of saying, I think at least, maybe not so much now, but the Southwest has always been behind the idea of restructuring. But the, the problem is that that has just been, it's sort of like making noise in an empty room because restructuring is not going to happen if you're speaking to people who already agree with you. It's yeah. reaching out across the aisle to speak to people who might not agree with you, but you, you, know, you try to fashion a way forward. You know, you consider their position, you consider your position, you move towards each other and you let go of things that you can't necessarily agree on, kind of thing. So, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, I, I think about it a lot and it starts to give me a headache from time to time. But I think that we're in for a very, very interesting time. I think uh, uh, Sarafi has shown his hand in many ways. Um, I think he's definitely gunning for the presidency. Whether it's via being vice president, which I think is, is, is a possibility, or... Because, I mean, if, if you think of it, the Senate will, the National House of Assembly, I think, or maybe the Senate in particular, will have to approve if the, if the day comes, Oshimbaju being, or, or no, actually, no, they don't. Because if Buhari expires, it's automatic that Oshimbaju will be the president, right? Yeah. And then who chooses the vice president? Well, he, he has the power to pick his vice president. Yeah, but the, he, the, his choice will have to be approved by... I, I think I think by the Senate, but I, I don't I don't think there's been any uh, precedent where they've turned it down. But then again, this this Senate. Oh oh, they will. Oh come this, on, this, this, this first. Under <laughs> under under Saraki, this Senate is gunning for whatever. So I think that the choice for Vice President will not necessarily come from Mashibajo himself. I think it will be a compromise choice. So that that leaves open. I do, I know I know you people keep mentioning a Erofai's name, but I'm not certain that yes. I'm not certain that they will choose him. Why? Because he's so hard to control. No, no, they won't. Because even the truth is, the vice presidential position in Nigeria has always been political. So even on that, Jonathan, mm. he got a list of people through consultation, and then they said, "Okay, this is the list. You pick the one you want." So I think that's what will probably happen. There'll be a list of maybe five, some governors, some ministers, whatever, and Prof will pick. The thing that Erufai will have against him, like I've always said, is in terms of intelligence, eloquence. Erufai is first class. Nobody can... He's made too many enemies, Michael. Yes, nobody can question his intelligence or his eloquence. Mm-hmm. The real issue is just, even within his own party, yeah. he's, he's not too very much. popular. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a troublemaker. So. His Bahala is way too much. So what that is, what, Tambawal, Saraki, the AG, and rumor has it, the uh, aviation minister. Uh, Hadi Sirika. Mm. Well, there, there could be... There, there could be all kinds of possibilities. Nobody knows. But the one thing... I wouldn't advise, if I were an advisor to Saraki, I was telling him, look, it's better to stay as Senate president than to take the VP slot, because that's where they can really deal with you. Like what uh, Obasanjali did. Yes, they will box him in and he will become irrelevant faster than he imagines. Yes. At least least as Senate president, he can stay there for as long as whatever party and whatever iteration of the party he's with, you know, exists. He can can be, I mean, look at Mark. Mark is set the president. He can be on that seat for as long as he wants to be, almost. Yeah. You know, so if I were him, I'd definitely <laughs> chill and and use that as a massive bargaining tool. You know. Yeah. So, but hey, Nigerian politicians are not, are not necessarily, uh, you know, because I mean, if he th- if he sees that as a short hop to presidency, if they can extract or if they believe they've managed to extract a promise from Prof not to uh, run again and to, in quote, zone the presidency to the north central, say. Yeah. He might fancy himself as, as you know, as being a, sh- a sure footing for 
if not well, the, if not the ABC, if then wants, the TDP. Yeah, yes, but even if he wants it that way, it's still better to just, 2019 is just less than two years away. Mm-hmm. That's still better to just stay a Senate president running the ABC primaries for the ticket and then contest that way. I wouldn't advise him to... ABC Pirates. Michael, stop this thing. He's better off. He's better. Actually, honestly, he's much better off going back to the PDP. I think. I think his chances are much stronger in the PDP than in the APC. If Buhari is out of the picture with with the APC, his influence. He has no influence with Southern APC. In terms of naked influence, I'm not talking about bought influence. Right? He, I don't think he stands in good stead with Southern APC, which leaves him with what? North Central APC? Northern APC? When they've got their well, own candidates? Well, the, the truth of the matter is the one thing I, I'm not a fan of Saraki for many obvious reasons, but the one thing I give to him is he's a very good negotiator and knows how to protect his own interests. Mm. So I am relatively sure that even if he stays within the APC, they'll find a way to talk things through. Because I know he's very ambitious, but I don't think he's not vindictive like uh, Buhari. So I think even despite all this stuff, it is still possible for Saraki to go to Lagos and sit with Tiribu and say, look, I know we've had our beef, let's do X, Y, and Z. And Saraki strikes me as the kind of person who understands political loyalty and who stick faithfully to whatever he agrees with. I don't don't think so. I mean, his emergency Senate president is a classic example. However, he does seem to be able to command loyalty from other people. I mean, for the first time since I've been following Nigerian politics seriously, the Senate seems to be united. But why why has that? That that was... That's stunning. Mm. Well, that, that was the presidency ongoing. They, mm. they started a, a needless war. There were better ways to deal with Saraki than they chose. But I think, on the general point, I think uh, he can still do a deal with Tinubu, but at the end of the day, it's up to them to decide. But, quite frankly, 2019 is looking bleak. I, uh, if, if I had to choose from the options, my option one would probably be for Buhari to rise up from, from his hospital bed and just come and do his second term so that we know we're done with this. Or alternatively, for Prof to run because obviously I'm not particularly happy with many of his policies, but I think his policies. What policies does he have? He's carrying out the Bahari administration policy. Well, yes, that's my point. He's more or less parroting everything, so we don't really know what Prof thinks. Yeah, exactly. But I think just general, his general calm, peaceful. His, his, in many respects, one of the good things about GJ is what Prof has that no drama type approach to stuff. So. And I think Nigeria needs more of a no-drama president. I think Prof will be able to, probably be able to do that. I, it's not an, an endorsement. I don't have the power to endorse it. But I think if I were to pick someone from APC, they said, okay, who do you want to pick? I just say, look, let's just go with this dude. He's guaranteed to give so, us the, the least drama. What's, what's, what's PDP looking like? Because, I mean, look, the party exists very much in name. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for, for a while, I was thinking the name was tarnished. But I think the APC has managed to make, by its own utter failure, to make the PDP brand at least the brand, or not the party, to make the yeah. PDP brand that much more attractive. So, what is going on with the PDP that I don't, I mean, there doesn't seem to be an active opposition. Opposition exists within the APC itself, ironically. So, what is going on with the PDP? How are they, and when are they going to get it together? Well, I think the two things that have to, or two options, one is either the Supreme Court gives a definitive ruling on who the chairman of the party but is. they have, no? No, that was the Court of Appeal. Oh, okay. Yeah, so either the Supreme Court gives a ruling or both parties sit down together and negotiate a deal. Strangely enough, I think Buhari's non-return might help to facilitate a deal because once the northern elite realize that, look, Buhari is not coming back and Prof might run, they'll be the ones to sit Modu Sharif down and say, look, shut up. Can you guys lock yourselves in the room and don't come out from this room until you and McCarthy have settled this quarrel because... We, the North, need this presidency. We need PDP. So I think uh, Buhari's incapacitation might facilitate reconciliation. Aside from that, I'm not very... uh, Everything is hinging on this fellow. Yes. 
No, sir, uh, it's, uh, well, well, like most people have said, uh, to be honest, I think the game changer for 2019 is probably Namdi Kanu and other movements across the country who are now taking the conversation beyond uh, should the presidency come from the north or south to what exactly is Nigeria? Because I was having a conversation with a few people yesterday and we just reached the conclusion that, look, Nigeria as it is, is a lost cause. Whether you, we, the issue is not whether you restructure or you don't restructure. It's going to have to happen. The issue is, do we do it? Oil to drying up, the prices of oil dropping, whether we, like you said, whether we want to or not. It's like, it's like that, uh, it's like that guest you don't want to see, but then they arrive and you're like, okay, come in, but stand up, but I like, don't worry, I brought my own chair. That's what, yes. that's what restructuring is to us. It, it will come, it will make itself welcome, whether we appreciate it or not. So it's better that we do it now. Yes. As opposed to have it done to us. 